guys today. We have a special speaker. He's amazing. He's so full of wisdom. He's got such great, great knowledge of many things to speak on. Today I get to introduce one of the most awesome people who I lean on for a lot of counsel, and that will be my husband, Rob Westbrook. So yay. So I read through his message and I love it. So you guys are going to like buckle in. It's going to be a ride. So there he is. I approve, I, I approve of this message. Wow. Okay. Huh. So real quick, the, the thing about the drummer and no tambourines, and I can, I can verify this because last night, Lisa and I went down. There was a guy I hadn't seen, an old friend of mine I hadn't seen in many years, who lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and he flew out to um, celebrate his 60th birthday. Um, and he's a musician buddy of mine. Um, and so they had this big party for this guy down in outside of Salisbury last night or yesterday afternoon and went down and there was so many amazing, if I could re have recruited two of these guitar players out of like the seven that were there yesterday, I mean, to, to come be a part of our worship team, it would be, it, they, it, it was just some of the best musicians I've ever played music with that could just flow in and out of stuff. They didn't care what song it was. They were just being amazing. But one of my other buddies that was there is a, is a worship drummer down at a big, it's a Baptist church, I can't remember the name of it, um, down in Salisbury, um, and uh, he said the same thing. He does not like when people have tambourines and, and when he's playing drums in church, and the reason is, is that there was one time years ago, I was down at my buddy Scott Hobbs Church down in, in the Outer Banks, and it used to be whenever I would go down there, he would throw me into the little fishbowl and be like, you're, you're drumming with us today and everything. So, and, I, and I would do that. And this one Sunday morning, this lady comes into the church. I watched her come in. She's got a tambourine in her hand. And she positioned herself, unbeknownst to her, directly under at their church. And at many of your bigger churches, they have audience mics that hang down from the ceiling. So you can pick up. The, 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 the sound from the audience, and it, and it also it, it enhances the sound of the worship music. In, if we're in in-ears up there, we, you get the natural reverb. It doesn't sound just so, so static. It just, you know. So the poor lady that had the tambourine could not find the beat if eternity depended on it. So, so and up there, as she's under the microphone... All I can hear is this tambourine that's completely offbeat, and I'm trying, and, and so then it just, it, it creates a train wreck. And so I'm trying to play with one hand, and I'm looking over at my control module that they had. It wasn't on a phone or anything, thank goodness, because that would have even been crazier to try to figure out how to get into the phone. And, but I'm trying to find where the audience mic is so I can turn it down, because all I can hear is directly under that, they, they, James knows, those mics pick everything up. So a high-pitched tambourine just drowned everything out, and it just, it, it, it just created a very interesting worship experience for me. Yes? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> 
right. <laughs> exactly right. Yep. So don't take it personal if we say we'd rather you not have a tambourine in the sanctuary. It's, it's just don't take it personal, please. So I love the way God works. So, so when Amanda had asked me if I would be interested in speaking over a month ago, um, I immediately knew what I was going to be speaking on. And so the next month, you know, over the past few weeks, it's just been constantly building and building and building on this. Then this morning, um, Lisa and I were deep in conversation on our way here, and, and we were talking about my message to, to some extent, which is going to be on forgiveness, and I promise I'll get there in a couple of minutes. But um, in Sozo ministry, and I can't not speak and not talk about Sozo ministry because it's just part of who we are now. And, and uh, in that teaching that's on forgiveness, they, they, um, one of the scriptures that, that is alluded to in the manual is, is, is from Isaiah 61. But I want to read this. And I, I was sitting here reading it this morning, and God showed me something new about this verse or about this passage. And, and so it's, it's Luke 4, verse 18, and this is where Jesus walks in after he'd been tempted in the desert. He walks into the synagogue in Nazareth, and he walks to the front, grabs the scroll, lays it out, and starts reading from it. That scroll that day said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. I want to, that's what, I'm, I, what jumped out at me today. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What jumped out at me, when we read this, we read this in our earthly eyes. And, and this, that one phrase about the recovering of sight to the blind jumped out at me today and it was like like a like a brick came flying from heaven and hit me in the back of the head and I just saw this today we know Jesus went on his way and he healed many people and and you know delivered people from the demonic oppression and stuff and he actually healed blind people they got their sight back this prophecy that was pointing towards Jesus I don't think that has anything to do with people who they could get their sight back. What the Holy Spirit revealed to me this morning is what Jesus was there for. Is, let me back up. A, a couple of years back, I was doing some, some studying through the book of John with Fount Schultz online. And the first week he was talking about the book of John, he was talking about how the book of John, there's, towards the end of the book, John writes, you know, there's no way possible to record every sign that Jesus did. If so, it would take up many, many volumes that would fill up the biggest libraries. Everything Jesus did was a sign. And the sign doesn't say you're here. The sign points us to a destination. The sign points to somewhere where we're going or, or something. Jesus always pointed to the Father always he always addressed it he always said things like i and the father are one he didn't say he very rarely rarely said me i'm the one doing this he said i hear what the father says and i do what he says 
I, I, you know, I, I, he saw with the father's eyes. Everything he did was through Father God. I think what Jesus is talking about here is, is Jesus was his ministry, and this prophecy is pointing towards mankind to change to, so they can recover their sight on who God really is. That's one of the things. That's Jesus' whole mission. His whole ministry was built around, I want you to see who Father God truly is. He's not the warrior God. He's not Ra. He's not Mars. He's not Ares. He's not Zeus. He's not Apollo. He is our Father. And, and from that is where forgiveness and the true nature of God comes from. So... It just that thing just that just really struck me this morning is that because even in in the synagogue, after he makes that statement, he said a few more things about a prophet's not welcome in his own home and, and, and things like that. And they wanted to throw him off the cliff after he basically preached his first message in a church. So I'm just glad we don't have cliffs in Delaware. So. Um, but anyway, so they, he really, that word that he gave them really offended the leaders of the church. Why? Because they could not see who God is. They thought God was the God, and they thought their role was to be the enforcers of the law. They were the, their modern-day Gestapo, their police force. They were, if you did something wrong, they were throwing rocks at you after you did it. You know, they were taking you out of the city. They were doing things, throwing people off cliffs. They were killing them because they did these things that, that the law said had to happen. They were the enforcers of the law. They never saw who God was. They never got it through Jesus until after the fact. Peter comes onto the scene many days later where he speaks his first message, and he's preaching to the people, and he's saying, you are the ones who killed him. So repent and be baptized. You know, it wasn't that's going to be coming on you next. He gave, Peter gave them the opportunity to repent and to, to fall in line with who Father God really is, which is what I really want to try to get across today in this message about forgiveness. But it all started right there when Jesus walked into that synagogue and said, I'm here so you can see who God really is. Which is just, it's, it's crazy to me. It's, it's so much more than I can't see anything, boom. You know, I haven't been able to see anything my whole life. That kind of infers that there was a point in time where they could see. Because it says to recover, to get back our correct vision. And it all comes through forgiveness. Forgiveness is the foundation of the kingdom. It's the foundation of all of our relationships. It's the thing that everything is built on because if we can't forgive, I can't let, if, if Lisa does something to me, to make me mad or whatever, to offend me, if I don't forgive her, I'm only going to see an offender. And, 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 and we have no, there's no hope for any kind of good relationship if I'm constantly holding a resentment over her. I had to forgive her yesterday. 
honestly. <laughs> Friday night, I was going into bed. I walk into our bedroom, and I peek around the corner first because I don't want to scare her. And I see her. She's laying in bed, her head's to the side, mouth open. She's sound asleep, so I'm like, okay. So I walk over to my nightstand. I reach over. I grab the charging cord, which I do most nights. I'm plugging it in. And as the cord is almost into the little port here, she screams and comes up, arms up, ah, like that. She scared every bad word in my vocabulary right out of me that night, amongst some other stuff, too, and, and scared me to death. The phone flew one direction. I don't even know where it went. My glasses went somewhere else. And... and and I, I was just waiting to drop dead. I mean, you know, I, I just thought for sure that was it. And all of my earthly worries were over at that point. And, uh, but immediately, and I was mad. You know, that, that, that the man, you know, I, you know, we're supposed to be big and tough. And she scares half of the life out of me. And immediately I was like, have you lost your mind? And, huh? I don't do that. So, see, she's, now she's telling lies. I have, not that I have not done that before. Yep. She got me. She got me. So... Anyway, I think I, I, I probably, my heart is probably in better condition now than it was before that happened because it just kind of kicked everything back into the right rhythm and everything else. But anyway, let's get into forgiveness. So, because we're supposed to walk in that all the time anyhow, right? So, like I said before, everything is based in for, as a result of forgiveness. It is, it's the foundation of our salvation, healing, and deliverance, which is sozo. It's the bedrock of healthy relationships with the Father, with one another, and with ourselves. So in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, starting at verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. The love of Christ compels you. <laughs> if you get that reference, that's... Anyway, um, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, which in the Greek means all, everything. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one, no one from a worldly point of view or according to the flesh. Though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You cannot be reconciled without forgiveness. That's impossible. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. I'll say that again. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We therefore are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. It's kind of cool, huh? It's also kind of heavy. <clears throat> we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So in that is so much. I mean, I could stay in that passage for hours. But a couple points I want to make is that Christ died for all. Number one, the second one is that we don't view other people from a worldly view. We don't hold them in their flesh. We choose, we need to put on the eyes of God and the eyes of Jesus and see them as who they are, as an imager of God, because they were created in God's image also. There's a thing, part of the conversation Lisa and I were having this morning on the way here were in, in some of my life outside of church life is involved in the music industry. And there are a lot of musicians that we encounter who are very mad at God. They hate God. They hate religion. They hate Jesus, and they're open about it. We've been to concerts where there are bands that, that take that position. I've been to ones where I'm not even going to say what they were saying, but, um, but, um, but, but the thing is, and, and the thing that, that kind of, kind of struck me is that they are some of those people are the blind that need to have their sight recovered so and i was telling lisa i said these people these bands these guys that are out there that are just openly proclaiming the the opposite of jesus <laughs> they're doing that because they're not mad at god they're not mad at father god they're not mad at Jesus. They're mad at the God and the Jesus that religion has painted the picture of. They're mad at the thing who's out to get them if they step out of line. They're, they're, they're mad at the thing who representatives of God and representative of Jesus had kept them under their thumb and did some unspeakable things to some of these people. So, so they're not mad at Jesus. They just haven't encountered him in the correct way. Which is one of the reasons why I believe that God has us where he has us right now. I mean, I get to go on a little tour this coming week and, and uh, um, to do a little bit of traveling, playing music in areas that we've never been before. And, and so who do I get to be when I go to these places? Exactly right. So, so, so our job is not to see them as the world sees them. My job is not to see them and view them as religion sees them. My job and my honor is to see them as another imager of God that just doesn't know who they are. They need their sight recovered. So, <clears throat> so what happens when we forgive somebody? So, you know, we can't, you can't experience true freedom without forgiveness. 
And why? The reason is because unforgiveness keeps us trapped in a prison cell of our own making. We're not in prison because of what has happened to us. And I know each and every one of us in this room have had things happen to us. So, so anything I say this morning is not to minimize anything that you may have encountered that, that has happened to you. And it's also don't hear me saying that you're a bad person if you can't forgive them yet. That's not what I'm here to say. But we all have these these experiences in our lives where we get the opportunity to forgive. Unforgiveness is a debt. Okay? So so when something happens to me, I immediately think in my mind in my flesh, that if you do that to me, then now something has to happen back to you. You you hear hear that? So you have, I have, I'm going to get revenge on you. I'm going to get, I'm going to extract something from you. Why? Because you owe me. You owe me something. So I cre- I, at that point, I've created a debt that that person really can never repay. There are things that get done to us, that get said to us, that cannot be walked back. It cannot happen. And it happens in relationships more than anything. That something gets said that openly, that, that creates a wound in our loved ones, that because we've said it, we just don't get to go, I, I'm sorry, honey. I didn't mean that. You can't, I can't walk back some of the things that I've, I've said to Lisa before. It cannot happen. The only way that that can be walked back is through her extending forgiveness to me. Whether I ask for it or not. Most of us husbands, I, can, I think I can speak for all of us, we put ourselves in positions where we need to go to our wives and ask for forgiveness. To say, I'm sorry, I know that hurt you, and I know that there's nothing I can do to make that go away. But, but, and then I'm at the, not at the mercy of her, but I have submitted myself to her to allow her to do what it is that she's going to do to me. Whether that's forgive me, or whether that is to make me repay that sin that I've committed against her. So... I would like the first option. <laughs> here's, here's an example of what I'm talking about. So um, you all will be very familiar with this passage of Scripture, but, but um, in Matthew 18, starting at verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. We'll get back to that was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. I would insert the word grace there. Canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, 
he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me. He demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told the master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Now, in this, I believe that Jesus was really using a lot of hyperbole in this to get his point across at the, at the power and the importance of forgiveness. That last phrase in that is a verse that I've struggled with for a long time, trying to figure out, okay, God, what is it in Jesus? What is it you're trying to say here? What I think Jesus is saying is Father God is so long-suffering and so forgiving, it's his nature to forgive his sons and daughters. That is his nature. We experience that forgiveness when we receive it, right? When I withhold forgiveness from somebody else, what I am doing is I am putting myself a couple of steps higher than God. I am assuming now that I am the God of my universe and that you owe me something. And I'm going to choke it out of you or I'm going to throw you into jail until you can try to repay what you owe me. It's incredibly dishonoring to what our Father has done for us. And it's, in, in essence, what it's saying is I'm putting myself above God in this because, yeah, that's great, God, that you did this for me. But this fool owes me something. So, the 10,000 bags of gold. One talent is equal to 20 years' wages. So I did a little math. To do that, it would take 200,000 years to repay that debt. So I got real conservative, and I, I just did some math, and I said at $20 an hour, which in this day and time isn't even a livable wage, but it is. It is what it is. $21 an hour computes to $41,600 per year. In 200 years, it would take, the first 200 years, you would pay back $8,320,000. It would take you 200 years to do that. I did it on my iPhone calculator with it inverted like this. When I did the, the 41,600 times 200,000, the iPhone's not big enough. So it told me that equates to 8.32E9. 
so much math in there that they had to throw a letter in. I have no idea what that means. So then, and I can show you to prove it. You guys can't see it, but I went the original arithmetic way and actually did a math problem. That turns out to 200,000 years, you would have paid back $8,320,000,000. It would take 200,000 years. On the flip side, it seems like that's definitely a debt that we can't repay. That's a debt as a, as a, as a, as a son who lost their way. The stuff that we owe, the stuff that I owe Jesus for what he has done for me, I could never repay that. But then here comes my buddy who owes me 100 days wages is what that was. It was a denarius, and that equated to, a, to, to one day's wage. So using the same mathematics, I took $20 an hour. That came up to $160 per day. That guy owed him $16,000. He wanted to choke him and kill him because he owed him just a, a speck compared to the $800,000, billion that he owed him. This is, the, this is the, the love of God right here. This is some of the gospel in, in, encased in this mathematic problem here, that, that God loves you into the billions, that, he, that even though we owe him those billions, he canceled the debt. He didn't extract the debt from somebody else. He didn't extract the debt out of his son. I no longer agree with that, that, that premise of he had to take out his wrath on his son so we could be released from the debt. It doesn't say it there. It says that he canceled the debt. He released it. Forgiveness will cost us something. It will cost you something to release somebody. But you'll gain so much more based on, you know, in comparison to what it costs you. It's going to cost you some pride. It's going to cost you a lot of misplaced anger. It's going to cost you your self-righteousness. There are things that it, it, forgiving someone and releasing them is, 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 is painful sometimes. We see it in Sozo ministry. We see it with a client sitting across from us, the pain that they go through as they are releasing someone or something from, some, from something. And those, those, if you ever have the opportunity, and I invite you all to become a part of that team to experience it, the freedom that comes out of watching somebody pour their life out. I mean, sometimes it looks like they literally are. Like it is killing them because in releasing that debt that we have built up and, and, and we let that stuff fester in us for all those years, sometimes it's things that we've done to ourselves. So we've been carrying a lot of unforgiveness to ourselves too, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But, but you know, some of these things, as it gets released, the freedom, the, the, I, I say it all the time, there's no greater gift in doing in, in a sozo ministry. The, the greatest gift that one who is the, the sozo-er, the greatest gift we can receive is the gift of a changed countenance. When we see somebody's head come up and they're glowing, and it's, it's like a Moses moment. 
like coming off the mountain. I mean, we literally see this a lot when somebody does the work that's necessary to forgive and they walk out of here a hundred pounds lighter. And, and it's, it's, it's so important to, to, to release. So like I said before, unforgiveness is a debt that I am holding over someone, which says you owe me something back. You owe me. But there's a pattern. So how do we get to that place? And there's a pattern that happens. The first thing that, that, that happens is there's an offense. An offense occurs that, that something happens to me. That can be a trauma. That can be abuse of some kind. It can be words that are spoken over us. It can be church hurt. It can be, it can be all kinds of stuff that happens to us on a daily basis. From most of the time from people who are close to us. Or, some, or somebody who we hold in that place, that they're close to us. Um, when after that happens, we wall ourselves off from those people, even though in a lot of cases they're still in our lives. Um, so I build this wall to keep my, it's, it's a wall of protection because you've hurt me in some way. So I'm, I'm and, and after we build that wall, then we start to develop judgments. Then we fall into this judgment phase. Then the offense causes me to live offended, if that makes sense. Made sense to me. <laughs> and then we create the debt. We create a debt that that offender can never repay us. Because in a lot of cases... An offender cannot give you back something that they stole. Only God can restore that. So, so again, that's what I'm saying. I'm not trying to minimize anybody's experience here. Unforgiveness leads to resentment. Un- unforgiveness keeps me a victim. Resentment begins as a protector because we build off that wall. So if I can resent you, then I can hold you off to a certain distance and I can let you get to where my hand is. You can get this far. You don't have a prayer of getting to here because it's not going to happen. And for a while, that wall and that resentment, it protects us and it serves us. Serves, it served me well until the day that it stopped. And, and that's where I think we have to come. We have to get to a place in our life where, and God allows it to happen. We get to a place in our life where we get over here and we go, okay, my life does not work anymore. I can't take this pain. I can't deal with this. I can't look at this person anymore because if I keep looking at that person, I might go do something drastic, introduce them to their creator. But like I said, resentment begins as a protector, but it soon starts to eat away at us. And then it turns on you, turns on me, and begins to torment me. That sound kind of familiar? I love this quote. I'm just going to read it, but I love it. Um, there's a guy in the a kingdom guy named Brad Jerzak. Um, 
but I was listening to a podcast one day, and, and this was a couple years back, and he was talking, they were talking about demons and hell and devil and, and that kind of stuff, and he said this. So Brad Jerzak's talking about this one day when his nine-year-old son came to him. His nine-year-old son said this. He came, comes up to his dad. Just picture this. Here's this little kid that comes up to his father, and he says, Demons are created by humans. Out of the ashes of war, the tears of those who are afraid, and the stuff people want that doesn't belong to them. Then they take, a life, they take on a life of their own and turn on you and torment you. So, of course, Brad, who was an expert on, in that field at the time, said, who told you that? And his son responded back, Jesus just did. I'd take the word of Jesus over anything, I think. But, but this is so true. Because what happens is we take this trauma, this, this event in our life that happens, and we, we, we deal with it, we turn it into something that protects us, and then all of a sudden we get to that place in our life where it's no longer protecting, now it's killing me. And it's eating away and it's eroding at me. And, and again, we've seen it in Sozo rooms. When that tormentor decides that it's time to rear its head, it does. And the authority of Jesus comes in and handles it. It's not our job. It's our job to sit in the authority that Jesus gave us. But, but there have been many occasions where, where these things, these tormentors, have, have risen up in somebody, and you just deal with it in a place from a place of love, number one. There's, there's no battle here. It's where I fight my battles. Jesus does it for me. He did it all, and he is more than capable of handling that situation. Whew. So, um, there are, so we talk a lot about what forgiveness is, so let's talk a little bit about what it isn't. And, um, oop, there it is. Um, here are five lessons from the book that's called Forgiving. Forgiving what you can't forget. Um, discover how to move on, make peace with painful memories, and create a life that's beautiful again. It's by a, a woman named Lisa Turkhurst. Um, number one, do you guys have that up there? Or Amanda's got it right here. Forgiveness is a journey. It's not a destination. It takes time to heal from painful memories and to let go of resentment. Don't be discouraged if you don't feel forgiven right away. Just keep moving forward and trust that God is working in your heart. Understand that forgiveness isn't always looking at somebody and saying, I forgive you. You can do the lip service and you can tell them that, you will know when you've to to totally forgiven that person. It, because the, the mere sight of that person won't send you. It'll no longer send you into a tizzy, into panic, into trauma. Lisa tells this story a lot where she had a tormentor in her life. And, and, and this person did some really bad stuff. 
um, physically to her. Lisa just had a surgery to correct some of that, which are long-lasting effects of trauma. So, um, but she's forgiven this person to the point to the place where she can ride down the road now, and they can she can pass him and go, "Oh, there he went," and not feel like she has to run and hide or pull off the road to catch her breath again because the trauma response kicks in and it just hits you just like that, right in the chest. Takes, sucks the life out of you. Trust the process. Trust the process. As long as we remain willing to move forward, that's when this thing becomes a journey. It's part of the journey. And sometimes you won't know you've, you've arrived. You just happen to wake up sometime and go, huh. Or it might take seeing the person. And, or, you know, you know what I'm saying? It might take you seeing them and going, oh, I felt nothing when I saw them. That's when you're well on your way to letting that person go and canceling the debt. Because that person no longer owes her anything. He, he didn't even have to come and ask for that. What's I think leads me to number two. <laughs> Let me not get ahead of myself. Forgiveness is not about excusing the other person's behavior. It's about releasing yourself from the burden of anger and bitterness. When you forgive, you're not saying that what happened was okay. You're simply saying that you're not going to let it control you anymore. That's where you move from being a victim to being somebody who lives from a place of being responsible. You good with that? Because, because if not, if, if I, even though that stuff, things that are done to us can never be taken back by the person who did it. So, so we can either choose to remain a victim to it. You did it to me. You did it. You did it. You did it. If we continue to walk in that path, the next person that comes in, especially if this is a person you were in a romantic relationship with, the next person that comes into your life is probably going to end up being the same way. Why? Because it's what's comfortable to you. You, you will accept that kind of behavior if you remain as a victim. When you change your mindset about what happened, and, 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 and start to walk in forgiveness, that same exact person can come into your life and if you choose to not see them as an abuser, your relationship with them might look a heck of a lot different. Maybe not, then you have to deal with that too. Number three, you don't have to forget in order to forgive. In fact, it's often helpful to remember what happened so that you can learn from it and grow. It's what I was just talking about. But you don't have to dwell on the past or let it define you. So a few weeks ago, Lisa and I were watching Family Feud. Comes on every night. And we were sitting there, and, you know, Steve Harvey reads a question. And the question went something like this. How can you tell... If some, it, it, I'm going to mess it all up, but if, if you hear your partner on the phone with somebody, how can you tell or what is it that they say that leads you to think that they're 
in relationship with somebody else. That they're cheating. Immediately, I'm sitting there watching the show, and I respond to the question. And I said, every time I hear that song, I think of you. And Lisa about fell out of her chair. But that's something that happened to me. And I was engaged to this person. And we, we, we were living together, and we, we lived in a single-wide trailer, and we had two sofas. I was laying on one watching TV, and she was on the other one, and she was on the phone. And, and she was talking to somebody else. I didn't know who she was talking to. I quickly figured out what the gender was <laughs> when, when she said, you know that song that Phil Collins just put out? And it was this real sappy love song. Um, and then she goes, Every time I hear that song, I think of you. And it, it felt like a knife went into my heart and then got twisted two or three times. And at that point, I knew that my relationship was over. But I was too weak and too much of a victim at the time to get out then. I set off to try to convince her that he's not the guy you want. You want me. And I fought the process. And, and I stayed in relationship with this person to the, to the point where after that one was over, I stopped caring about women. So from that point on, there was, it, it, it just, I, at that point, really, I, I, was, I was looking for love, looking for love in all the wrong places, looking <laughs> panub. <laughs> and, but, um, you know, but that's what I did. I didn't care anymore because there was no way that a woman was going to hurt me. I was going to hurt you first. And, and I left a trail behind me for a few years of, I left a lot of devastation behind me. There are people, and, and there are things I did that I could never walk back. Um, and, and the only thing I could, and at that point, the only thing I could do in that situation was forgive myself. I'd let myself off the hook. Because if I didn't, I wouldn't have what I have today with Lisa. There's no way. And, I mean, we, there would be no way we could have stayed married for 26 years at this point almost. So, so I had to release myself of the debt that I was holding over me. And... If half of those women walk through that door right now, I wouldn't have a clue who they are. But if they came in and said, you owe me, I don't know how I'd respond, except just to say, please understand that that's not who I am today. I, I really, I own everything I did to you, but I, I, I can't repay that. Please have, now I'm the servant to the master who's coming in holding 200,000 years of debt over my head. And at that point, I'm the one that's going to my knees and begging for mercy. Um, so what number was that? Three. Three. Okay. Here we go. Four. I, somehow I keep jumping ahead of myself. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. It frees you to live a happier and healthier life. When you forgive, you open yourself up to new possibilities and new relationships. I just, I just talked about that. Number five, you can forgive 
even if the other person never asks for forgiveness. In fact, you may never even see that person again. I was just addressing that. But that doesn't mean that you can't forgive them. Forgiveness is about you and your healing. Forgiveness is not about the other person. It's all about you. Requiring someone to ask for it. Oh, I added this. That's not up here. Require, sorry. Requiring someone to ask for it before you forgive is not forgiveness. You're still extracting a debt out of somebody. I'm not forgiving you unless you come and ask me for it. That person cannot repay the debt that you put on them. There's so much freedom. There's so much freedom in forgiveness as the forgiver. For me to forgive you sets me free. And, 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 and we, if you carry the kingdom out of the church like I hope we all are, you're going to encounter people that need to hear this kind of stuff. I at work one day, and I've shared this story before, but this is so perfect. I, I was in a guy's house um, working on a phone line, and this guy was just talking about how he and his wife had bought this house and set it up and had it exactly how they wanted. And then that witch ran off with her high school boyfriend after they had been married like 30-some years. It was cr- almost 40 years. It was nuts. And, and he ran off with this other girl. I'm, I'm, other way. She ran off with this other guy from high school. Then he just launched into, I mean, he, he needed somebody to talk to that day. And, and uh, so I just listened. And, and I listened to him say things like, if I see her, I will kill her. Like, this is the resentment that this guy had towards his ex-wife. And, and finally, he, he invited me out to his garage. He, gets, he had to show me his prized possession, this motorcycle that he had wrecked. And I'm getting it back together and everything like that. And, and, but that witch, and I'm changing letters in that, um, but she, 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 she. And then, God love it, the Holy Spirit starts talking to me and says, tell him what he needs to do. And I'm like, you are out of your mind. <laughs> nope. He wants to kill her. <laughs> I don't stand a prayer. So, and the Holy Spirit didn't even tell me what I needed to tell him. I already knew. Holy Spirit says it again. Take the risk. Is it worth it? Is, and, and so I'm like, oh, my Lord. I guess you've got me in this one because... So I looked at this guy, and this is a guy, big, burly beard, bandana tied around his head. Just, he was a motorcycle guy, so he was tough. I mean, and, and much bigger than me. And, and, uh, um, but he, he's sitting on his pool table in his garage, and, and, and I looked at him, and I went, and, and the whole time now I've just jumped off the cliff, and I'm like, do you know what you need to do? And he's like, what? I said, you might need to forgive her. And when I said that, this dude wept. I mean, he completely melted into a puddle on his pool table. 
And the whole time I'm sitting there going, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm so glad he reacted that way because, you know, I, I, I really felt like I was risking my life. After listening to this dude for 45 minutes, tell about he wanted, and he was telling me how he wanted to kill her. <laughs> I don't want that on the Internet, okay? So he was, I mean, he had this whole thing planned out on what he was going to do to this person. And, and I just said, to, and that's all I said, you might need to forgive her. And he broke. It was insane. I mean, I've never seen anybody go from, from this extremity to the other in a millisecond. And all that stuff, for, and I don't know how long that, that, that they had been separated or divorced, but all of that stuff melted off of this man. And, and because, and I think in that moment, there was the release. All the aggression, all the resentment, all the pain, all the hurt came out through his eyes. And I truly believe, and I'm trusting God in this because I've never seen the guy again. But, but um, I, I truly believe that as soon as I said it in the spirit, he forgave the woman because it cost him something. It cost him his, his toughness. I mean, you know, and he, and he says, man, I, I've never cried in front of a grown man before. I'm like, dude, let it just go. Let it out. It's all good. I can leave. If I feel uncomfortable, I'll leave. But you deal with this. And, and I think in that moment, and, and, and I pray that he is walking in that freedom now, that it, to where he was able to release her from that. So powerful. So powerful stuff. So in this as, as people who are re, re, um, representatives of the kingdom of heaven. This is the stuff we need to be walking in. We need to be willing to walk in that place to where, to where we can walk in forgiveness. In that, so let me read this passage from 1 Corinthians. We all know this one. But love is patient. I love this because because Paul writes two phrases. We call this the love chapter. But Paul says, he says, love is patient, love is kind. Those are the two things that love is. The rest of it, he's telling us what love isn't. So love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And this one, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with truth. It always protects. Now he's flipped it back to what love is. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Then he lands it with love never fails. But love keeps no record of wrongs. So as we walk this stuff out in our daily lives, outside of the walls of the church, outside of the safety of these four walls, we, we need to, if we are love, and if we are representatives of the kingdom of God, and God is love, we are to keep no record of wrongs. That's a tough one, man. I'm okay with the evil part. 
I'm okay. I'm okay with all this about the not boasting, about the about the not being prideful, about dishonoring others. I can be a little self-seeking, um, not easily angered. I'm good with that. Keeping no record of wrongs, that's where the Jesus rubber meets the road. So we, ha- we, we need to be the master who, who is willing to release the debt that nobody can repay me. I need to be that person. Paul also says in Ephesians, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, ow, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. That's in here and it's out there. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. In Colossians, therefore, it's funny, I remember Bob Weed used to always say, when you're reading scripture and you see the word therefore, (laughs) there's a reason it's therefore. (laughs) But therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This goes back to that hard word that Jesus said back in in Matthew 18. You know, um, it ties directly in as, you know, the night before Jesus was killed, he said to his disciples, I leave you with this one commandment not the 630-some that were written in the Torah. I leave you with this one. Love one another as I have loved you. Twelve or so hours later, he's hanging on a cross. After enduring everything that we know what he endured, a lot of us don't like to imagine it to the extent that it probably was because it wasn't a pretty thing, but he's hanging there. And he looks, he, he looks around, if he could even, honestly, if he could even see him in the physical. With the beatings that he took, I can just imagine eyes swollen shut, you know, bleeding everywhere, skin ripped off of him, his beard's gone. He's the ultimate in humiliation. And he's hanging there and he says, forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. Are we willing? Most of us, I know me, I don't want to take a punch to the face and then immediately forgive the guy and go, dude, I understand. you just don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you know, let alone everything that Jesus, that, that the world put on him. The Pharisees put it on him. Pilate put it on him. Beat him half to death before he even died. And for him to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Settle it in yourself if if God answered the prayer. I think he did. Because what they did to his son, 200,000 years, can't repay it. 2,000 sure hadn't. Here we are. Still got work to do. 
Still got people. Still got people out there who don't know who they are. And we still have lots of people in these walls and outside of the walls that will do things to us that we get to say, forgive them, Father, because they just don't know what they're doing. So in closing, I would just say this. If, if what I've said has meant something today that's, that's struck home with you, take it home with you and just spend some time with Jesus and say, Father God, who is it that I need to forgive? And trust the picture, the name, the event. Trust what he gives you because he's not going to fail. He knows exactly who. And I would say probably you do too. We just don't want to see it. And, and, and in, in, in that, we don't want to do that because they owe me something. And that's the thing. It, it, I mean, what I could do with $8.32 billion, you know, to just the thought of that. I mean, that's a number that I can't – I mean, it, it, it'd take you – a couple thousand years to count that high to get there. There are people that have that kind of money. And, and, and it's just, it's, it's crazy to, to think about that, but that's what I could do with that kind of money. But am I willing to go choke that out of somebody? Am I willing to go choke $160 out of somebody? You know, it, it's, you know, a hundred days worth of, of wages. You know, but that's, that's, that's how we treat each other sometimes. And I had a great conversation with somebody in closing about, you know, their, a lot of their frustration with the church. And so I just started asking them, okay, wh- where's this coming from? And they started telling me. And, they were, and wide open about it, which was great, and it was awesome. And, and I looked at this person, and I said, so do you think you need, do you think you need to forgive the church? And their response was, well, I have to. Bible says I have to. But no, you don't. You don't have to. <laughs> you need to if you want to enjoy everything that the kingdom has to offer. But whether you do or not is your choice. And it's your responsibility. You don't have to, you don't have to walk in life. And, and some of these things this person was carrying for 10, 15 years that somebody said this about me at the church. And I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, how long do you want to carry that burden? Because I can promise you the person that said it, they're not carrying much of any weight of any kind. They don't even know they hurt your feelings, which is why there, there's tons of places in scripture, maybe not tons, but there are specific places in scripture that say, if you've got something against your neighbor, go handle it. Before you leave your offering at the offer, go de- heal, reconcile the relationship first. Get in healthy standing with one another before you come in here acting like you already have it all figured out. That's the challenge, and that's the challenge about forgiveness is, is why I just could not get away from the, the, the message this morning over the last few weeks, but I, the longer I spent on it and the more I just dealt with it and focused on it, I'm like, this is not going to be a feel-good, funny type of a message. 
This is real, and it's because our hearts are dependent on it. The, the condition of our heart with, our, with mankind, with one another, and most importantly, a lot of times, with myself. Because there are things in our lives that we need to let ourselves off the hook for. Because, because if we don't let ourselves off the hook, how can we truly receive and enjoy the benefits of the Father's forgiveness that he's already done for us? Because, again, but you don't, you don't know what it's like to be me. You know, and, and, and so, no, you don't, you don't know what I've, I've done so many things. I have done things that I should be in jail for. I've, I've done things that I should be paying child support for. I've done things that blah, 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 whatever it is that's out there. I've done so much that, that, that I cannot let myself off the hook. I'm going to beat myself into submission. I'm going to be the one like some of the old church days where the guys would walk around just flogging themselves and ripping their own skin off of their back because they are so bad. Meanwhile, I can just imagine Jesus going, forgive him. <laughs> the poor guy just doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, so, so, so whatever it is that we're each individually dealing with, whether it's, whether it's the stuff we've done, whether it's incredible loss, and, and whether it's financial loss, fin- dumb financial mistakes, preaching to myself, you know, we have to let ourselves off the hook. God already has, past tense. So I just challenge us to be willing to do that because that's where this whole thing, the true freedom comes when you can look at yourself in the mirror and see the one whose image that you were created in. You can't see him if you see yourself as everything that you've done. And so, so go home today or tomorrow and just look in the mirror and look in the eye just look in the eye. And, and it reminds me of this song that this guy wrote years ago, um, a guy named Joel Case, and I'll, I'll you know, show you guys sometime, um, where he talks about looking at his reflection and looking at the eye. And we don't do that much. But if you really focus on your eyes, you will see things that you've never seen before. Like you could say, hey, I've got brown eyes. But if you focus at your eyes in the right light, you'll see different colors in your, in, in your pupils also, or not your pupils, but the, um, the iris around it. So, so you'll see the lines, you'll see the veins, you'll see this thing that, that, that causes you to see rightly or not rightly. But just the creation that's there in our eyes, the reflection, and look at yourself until you can actually feel love coming back at you. Because when you get to that place, you're actually, I would, I would venture to say, you are looking into the eyes of Father God. You're not looking, I'm not looking at Rob anymore when I've, when I've focused that long to where I actually feel the love of God come back to me. And once you feel it, you'll never be the same. If you haven't felt the love of God before, we're here for you today. I would just extend that invitation. If you haven't felt the love of God, submit to it. Submit to the love of God. We can pray with you. We can minister to you. If there's anybody that needs ministry, you know, we're here for you. So um, with that, 
I think I'm done. Do you want something? Okay. Thank you. <laughs>That was awesome. Told you it was awesome. So having to do with uh, forgiveness, like Rob said, when you go home, if you want to spend a few minutes asking Father God or Holy Spirit about uh, forgiveness, if there's anyone or even yourself, if there's anything you have to forgive for, sometimes if anything comes up, this might be the first time in some of your lives that this is the first time in your generational line that forgiveness has ever been extended. So just be open to that. And when that happens, there is true freedom in the generations when that gets broken, when that freedom and that forgiveness gets extended. So just be open to that. So when you do that activation, when you ask, the Godhead, is there anyone that I need to extend forgiveness to, or is there anything on myself that I need to forgive myself for? Just take a moment and really sit with that and hear what he has to say. And then as you do extend that forgiveness and hand over the offense and forgive that person, and you hand over that offense and that resentment and the bitterness. Father God will always trade up because when you hand that over, he's going to give you something in exchange. So as you hand that to him, you, you hand that father God, I give you this because you don't want that anymore on your life. So you hand that over to him, ask him what he has in exchange for you. And as he gives you that exchange, make sure you write that down. And then ask him, go deeper. Father God, what do you want me to know about the, this exchange? And keep asking questions. See what he has for you. Keep asking questions about that exchange. Some of you, some of the forgiveness is so deep. Some of that pain is so deep. There's, there could be trauma there. You might have to build up the capacity to forgive and that is okay but if you can find the smallest thing to forgive for that will start the process it could be something really tiny but if you ask Jesus for eyes to see either the offender or the situation through his eyes that allows you to have a broader vision. And that allows you to see through the eyes of the Lord. And that will soften you to be able to forgive a little better. In my own experience, that helped me. I no longer saw my offender as an abuser, but I asked to see him with the eyes of Jesus. And when Jesus showed me what he looked like through his eyes, it became a lot easier to forgive him. So I just want to encourage you with that a little bit.